time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Jesus, we say that we love you. We welcome you here. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would speak to us the things that are on your heart. Lord, that you would... Um, be able to use me, Father, that um, you would be able to calm my spirit down, my mind down, that I would be able to hear from you and articulate the things uh, that, that you want to be said. We love you and honor you. In your name, amen. So uh, I just want to recap briefly what we talked about last week. Um, talked about intercession. Today, this, this week, we're going to talk about devotional prayer. Um, we talked about Jesus being the great intercessor. I thought it was cool. Uh, that Bob dude who touches his glasses a lot and leans on the podium. What's his name? Bob Hamp. I, I, uh, he actually hit some things I, I kind of hinted at briefly, but he kind of broke it down. You know, at, um, the nucleus of an atom is actually sound waves. Um, and, he, and, and he was talking about exactly what I preached on last week, that, he, that Jesus upholds things by the word of his power, that that sound um, is... is vital. It's, it's not just, you know, we, we, we kind of blow, blow up certain things and we think, okay, you know, what does that mean? It's the word of his power sustains things. It means that his intercession, his words are actually sustaining things. And at the core of uh, life is the words that God spoke initially when he said, let there be light, and also his words that he's currently speaking. And those words are still resounding. Did you know that sound waves never end? that they continue on forever. Um, and so the words you speak are eternal. And, uh, you know, whether when you speak life or death, that, that power in the tongue, those sound waves don't disappear. And when you say those, the, the sound is doing something. You know, when I say something to Dan, I mean, uh, you know, when I speak life over him, there's actually something that happens physically. It's not just some spiritual realm that's, that's often distant. So, uh, you know, we talked about the importance of sound and what an intercession. Uh, remember, we talked about creation. The Lord, in His heart, the, the Father's heart, He had uh, a plan for the earth. But it wasn't until Jesus spoke the word that was in the heart of the Father that the Spirit that was hovering over the waters created created the world. That the Trinity was involved. But it, it, it took more than God just thinking. What was in his heart? Jesus actually spoke it, and when he spoke, let there be light. The things that was in the Lord's heart suddenly came to pass, and it's the same thing in intercession. We can think those things in our mind, but until we actually speak out, then the Spirit who's waiting to, to confirm the words that the Father is speaking, and then, and then it, and it comes to pass. And uh, I, I love just... Uh, talking about sound and the effect of sound. You know, God spoke, let there be light. I love, uh, you know, the, the day of Pentecost, we often just picture a mighty wind, but it actually, the scriptures actually says there was a sound as if a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't actually say there's a mighty rushing wind. There was something about a sound that was released, and that's the same thing in worship. You know, I can think a worship song in my head, but until I actually articulate it and vocalize it, something, you know, something will actually happen. 
And we, we uh, even though we kind of know that to be true, we don't articulate that in intercession. And I'll, I'll uh, use an analogy. Um, this, this, you see this finger that's kind of weird? <laughs> I was playing basketball two years ago, and uh, someone threw me a pass, and I wasn't looking, and I hit my finger, and my finger bent all the way back to a 90-degree angle. So um, being the uh, man that I am, I just looked at it, and no, I fell to the ground screaming. <laughs> I just, I, 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 I fell on the ground, and I was, I was just yelling like it hurt so bad. It was like one of the most painful things. Um, but then in my mind, I was like, I don't have health insurance. I do not want to go to the hospital. I thought all these things. And so in the midst of my yelling, I put my hand in the air. I'm lying on the ground. I'm going to actually lie on the ground. I, as I'm screaming, I put my hand in the air, and everyone's like so grossed out. Like one dude almost puked. And I was like, someone put it back in place. Someone put it back in place. So there's this dude. There's this dude, Jason. He is a 350-pound uh, dude. He's probably 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He, he was a nurse, and I was lucky enough to have a nurse there. So he comes over. He's just this big black dude. Um, just comes up. He's, he's a real cool dude. And he comes up, and he's like, this is going to hurt like a beep. And I'm just like yelling. And so he just goes, and he <laughs> grinds it right back into place. And I, I jumped up, and I actually tried to keep playing, and that was just a terrible idea. And my, my finger ballooned up, and, and uh, I actually never got it looked at from the doctor. I got it taken care of just from Jason putting it in place. But the point is, the, the, the action, the, the breakthrough that needed to happen never would have happened unless I vocalized it, unless I said, you know, this, need, this thing that's wrong needs to be made right. And then Jason came over and <laughs> put it right back in place. I'll use a, a, a nicer analogy to hit it from a different angle. My wife and I, when we were dating, <laughs> after we had been dating for a year, we were sitting in a parked car. And, and no, not there. Not going there. We weren't there. We, we, hadn't, we hadn't kissed yet. So we're sitting there just holding hands. Uh, I think it was outside of her house. And I just, I've been thinking it for like three weeks. I was like, I, was like, I, I think I'm going to go for it. I think I'm going to say I love you. And, uh, you know, drop the L-bomb. So I think I'm ready. You know, I pray about it. And so I, like, I speak it out. I say it. It's just silence for 10 minutes. <laughs> I sat for 10 minutes, and I'm, like, sweating. And I'm, like, I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. I ruined it. It's over. It's done. I screwed it up. I'm just thinking all these things in my mind. And 10 minutes later, you see this, I love you, too. And it was just, every, I was just so pumped. I mean, like, I played it cool, but I really wanted to get outside the car and be like, because I was so, I so thought I was screwed. And uh, she laughs about it, but she, uh, the thing I, I always respect about Rachel is, you know, she didn't want to just tell me what I wanted to hear. She actually searched her heart for, like, 10 minutes and said, okay, you know, I, I think I believe this, and so she spoke it. But that, that, that realization never would have been made known unless I, unless I stepped out and spoke it out. And that's the intercession that we speak. It's stepping in behalf for someone else, lifting our voice, and, and things change and shift. So that's basically what we talked about last week. Um, this week is similar but different. I want to talk about devotional prayer. Um, and right next to your notes in, in Roman numeral 2, or II, 
is uh, keeping a burning heart. And uh, I, I really think that, you know, when I, when I look at the uh, topic of devotional prayer, keeping a burning heart before the Lord is, 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 is the main thing for me. Um, and Matthew 25 is kind of the main passage. Um, you can turn there if you want. We're going to go there in a minute. I also have it on the paper, too. Um, but you can go ahead and turn there if you want. We're going to spend a little bit of time in there because I think it's such a key passage. Um, so Matthew 25, just quick context. It's right before the Passover. And Jesus just gave a long, detailed discourse on his return. He talks about uh, the signs of the times. He talks about the things that will be happening. He gives details. Um, and there's two things he says uh, over and over again in Matthew 24 and then Luke 21 is the parallel passage. He, he says, watch, he commands everyone to watch, and then he says, uh, see that your heart is not offended. And he gives the warning of the great falling away that will happen because the return of Jesus is not going to look like people expect it to look. And so the main issue is the issue of offense in the heart. And so Jesus says, look, I told you beforehand what would happen. Don't be offended. And then, and then he says, watch, over and over again. And so then he launches into three parables. And the, the great thing about these parables is these uh, aren't even just parables for everyone. They're actually applying to leaders. All three of the uh, figures in the uh, parables are leaders. And so the first one, you know, uh, it's verse 48 of chapter 24. You can look at it. I'm not going to actually read it out. But you guys know the story. It's the wicked servant who uh, uh, bas basically the, the, the warning is it's, it's God who gave his blessing or his favor to leaders, and then in wrong motives, they abused that favor. They, they weren't ready for the return, but, but beyond that, they abused it to, uh, to a wicked extent. He actually calls them wicked. And so the, the first parable is God's warning against the delay of Jesus being shorter than expected. They, uh, you know, these wicked people weren't ready. And so... Uh, What's funny is the second parable, and this is the one we're going to spend some more time in. It's the parable of the ten virgins. This one's actually about the delay being longer than expected. So the first one, he comes back sooner than they're expecting. The second parable, he comes back longer. He waits longer. There's a, there's a longer delay, and so both times uh, they're not expecting, and, and, and the timing of it throws them off. And there's, there's something about the return of Christ that the first, the first time Jesus came, Everyone was expecting him to come like a lion, primarily, and uh, they, they got thrown off and were offended when he came like a lamb. The second time, he's coming back like a lion when everyone expects him and thinks he's just a lamb, and he says he's both. And so there's a, there's a, there's a warning in there about knowing who Jesus is. So the uh, second one's about longer than anticipated. The third one is the parable of talents, and... Uh, that one's about the delay being harder than expected. So you have shorter, longer, harder. And you guys know the story of the talents. One, two, and five. And uh, the master comes back to call the debts. You know, number two, what'd you do? I hooked it up. I worked hard. I got your two talents back. And then, and then I got two more. And then number five, I invested, did all the work, did great. You get five back. And then one comes crawling in and you know, he's like, ah, I didn't know what to do. I got scared. I, I knew you were a harsh, you know, a, a harsh master. And so I bit it and I uh, buried the, the talents and hit him in the ground. And, and so uh, he, he, he warns like, you know, because he's the, 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 
the workers actually talked about, you know, it was hard. It was difficult. It actually took labor. And so uh, I look at these three parables, and I kind of see kind of a consistency from one to the next. The first one is, hey, I give you gifts and talents as leaders. I want you to have right motives. Okay, I got it. I got right motives. Second parable, the ten virgins, in the gifts and talents, you have to keep your heart alive. Okay, you got to keep my heart alive. That's important. I got that one, Jesus. And he says, okay, it's not just that, though. You actually have to value the work that I've assigned you to do and actually do it. Okay, I got to do that. So, you know, think of those three things all in succession that the, the parables kind of build on top of each other. Um, so I'm not going to break down one and three too much because that's not what we're talking about uh, today. We're going to go right into Matthew 25. So is everyone there? We're going to read, and I'm going to be super annoying and interject like crazy instead of just reading it and then going. And so uh, I encourage you to kind of take notes from the different stuff. Uh, I love to take notes in my Bible, and pass it, like talking about passages, when people are teaching and giving meanings on certain words and whatever. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible open, you know, if, if something strikes you about a certain word, you can kind of write it down right there. Um, so I'm going to jump right in. Uh, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened unto ten virgins. Okay, so number one, the kingdom of heaven, and then he, he has ten virgins. And so this, to me, this symbolizes their purity. This, this uh, symbolizes that they've been washed in the blood of Christ. They're, 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 they're pure. They're made whole. They're all seen as righteous. There's, there's not a distinction in them. There's just ten of them. They're all pure. These ten virgins took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Okay, so the lamp in this story represents their ministry. It's their light before men. When you have, when you have the lamp, it's that, it's that glow, it's that light that can lead others, that others see. You know, we know lots about being a city on a hill and, and you know, let, let your light be seen. You know, it talks about your witness, your ministry. That's, that's what the lamp represents. Um, and then going out to meet the bridegroom. Now notice all ten of these virgins, they all went out to meet the bridegroom. So they all had the intention of meeting the bridegroom. These, these aren't the people that are just, these, this is, these are not the wicked servants from the first parable. These are all the pure motives. Um, they, in their heart, they want to go out to see the bridegroom. You know, they're, they're pure um, and they have their lamps. And so there's no distinction being made yet. Now, verse 2. Now, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Now, Jesus, I, I just love how simple Jesus makes things sometimes. Like, you know, we have all these subcategories and all these things. Jesus makes it very simple. He has, you know, this picture of these ten virgins, you know, ten lamps. They all go out to meet. And then he says, five of them are wise, and five of them are foolish. And the the, the distinction between uh, wise and foolish is uh, in verse 3. Those who were foolish took their lamps and had no oil with them. Now, oil is talked about all throughout Scripture. Um, it's it's in, it, intimacy, nearness. Uh, it's, it's also uh, anointing from the Holy Spirit. Um, we, could, we could spend a whole topic talking about oil. It's actually one of my favorite, like, if we talk about, you know, the Lord coming like rain, fire, wind, and oil. Oil is actually really fun to talk about. 
But oil represents an inner intimacy uh, with Jesus. And so you have the lamp, which is the ministry. It's the light. But that flame needs something fueling it, right? First the natural, then the spiritual. You have a flame. That flame is going out because you just have a little wick unless it's connected to something. Uh, uh, it can be likened to Psalm 1. You know, the tree planted in the waters has the deep roots. Uh, it's, it's that same imagery, but the oil is, that, is the inner intimacy with God. And so, uh, go ahead and go to verse 4. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So the, the, the Jesus' distinction, wise, oil, unwise, no oil. That's his distinction. Clear cut, easy. Well, the... Uh, while the bridegroom was delayed, so again, this is the parable about the bridegroom taking longer than was expected. They thought he was coming at, a, at you know, this point, and he didn't break in the way they thought he would or when he would. Uh, they all slumbered and slept. Now, a lot of times in parables, uh, sleeping is negative, uh, you know, but, but the wise sleep in here, and there's not a rebuke for them sleeping. And so... Uh, this sleeping is not talking about a, a spiritual slumber that came over them. It, it's talking about the, the rigors of life, the, the things we have to do. You have to sleep now. You have to eat. You have to, you know, make money. The, the things in life that you have to do um, in, order, in order to live. And so this isn't negative. So they're all sleeping. And so then at midnight, a cry was heard. Midnight represents um, the time they didn't expect. They didn't expect him to come at midnight. Um, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And then this next phrase. I, I, I love this phrase. Go out to meet him. In other words, drop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. Jesus is here right now. Lay everything aside and go. And, you know... When we have moments of just the Lord breaking in in unique ways, you know, it just happens, and you have to rearrange your schedule. I mean, we all think revival, and we think this is, you know, everything is going to be awesome, and everything is going to be fixed. Revival is extremely messy. I mean, you have to organize so many things, and you have so many pressures, and you have so many angry people, and you have so many happy people. All these things that, that happen in revival, it's really messy. And so they, they have to lay whatever they're doing, they have to stop what they're doing and go out and meet him. And so uh, verse 7, then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. So they all stopped what they were doing. They were all listening for the voice of the bridegroom, and they all responded, all ten of them, wise and unwise. And the Verse 8, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Verse 9. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for you and I. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And so this at first just seems like, man, what a bunch of jerks. Why don't they just give them some of their oil? Then, you know, it's kind of a <laughs> kind of thing. Can we just help each other out, you know, you pour a little bit in here. It, it, this is not what's happening. They weren't being mean. It was something that they couldn't actually uh, do. Uh, I, I, I've heard it said, I don't know how much this is, this is true, but, you know, there were certain lamps that 
you would you would uh, have the wick and the lamp, and you couldn't actually open the the, the bulb or the, the the part inside like you would buy it. It's kind of like a disposable camera. I guess they had some of those in the time. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but either way, in this parable, it was something that you could not give to someone else, and that's obviously true about our relationship with Jesus. I can give you facts about who God is, and we talked about that last week. There's a difference about learning truths about God and, and knowing God, and that's what I, you know, it was the warning I gave that I could, I got swept away in Bible, Bible school. Thinking facts about God was a replacement for knowing God, and someone else can give you facts about God, but someone else cannot give you relationship with Jesus. And uh, this, this story so builds a, uh, you know, it, it so builds the pressure and the drama of a, of a real circumstance. And you can feel the panic in the moment, you know. It's the, it's the oh, crap, I'm not ready. <laughs> you know, we've all experienced the, you know, the parents are home an hour early and the house is trashed and we were supposed to be babysitting and they're watching the movie. They're not supposed to do that. Oh, crap, I'm not ready. <laughs> That horrible, horrible feeling that we have all experienced at some point or another. Um, that, that feeling is real for those who didn't cultivate intimacy with, with, with uh, Jesus. Uh, I'm going to keep going. Afterwards, this is uh, verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And uh, by the way, this... To me, this parable is not talking about salvation because buying oil is not what buys you salvation. You don't buy your salvation. And so this is not talking about who's saved and who's unsaved. You're saved from the free gift, free gift of Jesus Christ. Now, there's those who get to heaven and it says their works are burned as, as through fire because they, they didn't buy any oil. They didn't do anything. But all they had to do was receive the gift to be saved. This is not talking about salvation. Your salvation is not necessarily... Uh, in the balance, but but what Jesus is talking about here is is a is a, a window of opportunity where Jesus has come, and there's there's five that could partner with him, and then five who couldn't, five who were ready, and five who weren't, and the and the, the thing you don't know when God is going to come with revival in a unique way, but the ones who have bought oil are going to be the ones who are useful, and you have a a fantasy thinking that revival is going to fix your problems when in reality God is wanting you to buy oil now while it's dry and hard so that you have reality and that you're useful in the day that he comes. He's coming and shutting the door to some and some get to partake with him. Now, I love just thinking about the, Jew, the, the way that the, and this is a great way to do a wedding, by the way. They would do seven nights of just partying after after a wedding, I mean, they would just feast for seven days. I mean, that's that's pretty sweet. <laughs> I mean, they get to, like, take off of work and just party. It's like you're just trying to make friends with anyone who's engaged just so you can get in on that. But I like that picture because, to, you know, I'm, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of adding, you know, my own opinion into this. But, but when, you know, he's shutting the door, there's still six more days that can come back and be apart. But they missed him in that moment. They miss partnering with um, his heart. And uh, our statistics in this nation um, are staggering for the amount of 18 to 25-year-olds that fall away. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what the rationale is. Um, 
And it's not, and, and what's crazy is how many of them come back to Christ in their 30s. Now, unfortunately, it's not all of them. There's, because uh, 90% of uh, teenagers who engage in church are completely disengaged in church between 18 and 25. That's uh, a staggering statistic. It's heartbreaking if you're in teen ministry, and I was. It's, it's, uh, it's terrifying, but what happens is there's this lie that comes in and says, eh, I want to have fun. I want to live my life, and I want to try drugs, and I want to try immorality. I want to try all these things, and eventually, you know, when I'm later down the road, then, you know, I'll give God a chance. And what happens is those, those, those people, they, you know, get married, and they have a kid, and they have that oh crap moment. <laughs> They're holding a kid, and, uh, you know, I just held my little girl for the first time two, uh, two and a half months ago. When I held her, I just had that moment. I'm like, like, is this legal? Like, am I allowed to just take this baby home? Like, even though I, I studied and I prepared and all those things, there's still like, I'm in charge of a human life. Candace knows exactly what I'm talking about. It's just like, it, there's just, it, it, it fades a little bit, but those first couple of days, you're just like, oh my gosh. And so a lot of people have that, oh my gosh moment, and they go back to church and go, ah, my life's a wreck. I treat my wife like garbage. I have no reality with God. I, I'm addicted to pornography. I have all these problems. And then they come back to Jesus. And they lose out on so many of, of these years. And we can do the same thing in a, in a much uh, lesser degree. And I've even heard some of you say it. I've heard some of you say, well, after DLA, then I can pursue a prayer life. Or after you know, after first year when I'm in core, then I can do this. And we do that so much. We fantasize about when the right moment is going to come. All the things are going to click and fall in line, and then I'm going to be holy. And then I'm going to pursue righteousness. And then I'm going to spend time and pray. That moment is never coming. That altar call is never coming because it was never meant to be like that. It was always meant to be a relationship that built upon uh, moments and memories and time, those things you have to buy oil daily. And I urge you, uh, those, those of you who are saying that in your heart, uh, I'll learn the Bible later. I'll pray later. There won't be a later. There really won't. And there's really a cry that'll come forth. God is coming with revival, or God is coming in this way, and you won't be ready. And you won't be useful. Your lamp will go out. And you know what's going to happen? You know, when, when pressures hit this nation, there's going to be ministries that have no reality that aren't going to have anything to give. You know, the prosperity gospel sucks when the stock market crashes, doesn't it? No one's running to the prosperity gospel anymore, are they? It doesn't work anymore. There's no reality. Their lamp just went out, and they don't have any oil in it to, to sustain. And so I urge you to buy oil now. To, to go deep in the place of prayer, wherever, whatever your circumstance is at. It doesn't matter how busy you are. And you are in a program that is one of the few places in all of the West that is designed to get you in the place of prayer. There are not many. There really aren't. I know a lot of schools and a lot of internships. And there aren't many that push you into the place of prayer like DLA. There's only a handful. And you guys are in that. There's never going to be a better time. Throw yourself into prayer. Throw yourself into the Word. Throw yourself in to the knowledge of God. I have here in the notes pretty much the same thing I said. But 
Don't wait until the season is optimal. You have to seek the Lord while he may be found. You have to buy oil amidst the mundane and the cares of this life. And it's fantasy to think that one day it'll be easy. It's fantasy. It's not real. It doesn't exist. You have to, you have to realize that now and understand that. It's, there's never going to be that easy time. You buy oil now. It does get easier, but only when you continually buy oil. And then there's a, there's a continual exchange, and there's a continual drinking of living water. And that's when it becomes easier. So point three, which leads me into what I want to talk about. I mean, that was part of it, too. Don't worry. That wasn't just the intro. <laughs> now I have you for the next two hours. Cultiv- uh, so point three, cultivating the oil of intimacy on the inside. So the oil of intimacy in these little spaces. I squared out the ones that are in the spaces now because last time I preached, I, I put spaces in some of those, and then I didn't write down in my notes which ones I did it on. So I, so sorry if I just ran over that and missed some. So, <laughs> so cultivating the oil of intimacy on the inside. An ongoing, uninterrupted conversation with Jesus. And it, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is Paul exhorting us to pray without ceasing. And I have always read that growing up and rolled my eyes. That's one of the scriptures where I read it and I roll my eyes. Like, right, that is not possible. Not even going to try. Not going to happen. It's okay. No one else does it, so I'm good. The more I've spent time walking with the Spirit, the more I realize uh, how attainable this really is. And uh, the, the thing I love about this, uh, ex- this uh, exhortation from Paul is, is this invitation, like this, the target, like, is put high. I love that. I love that, you know, it's not a, if you don't pray without ceasing, you're going to hell. But there's a, there is, there is a, hey, I'm going to throw this out there. This is a, this is a reality to really attain to. Um, point A under pray without ceasing. Paul exhorts us to pray without ceasing. This is not an uh, exhortation that God assumes we can't attain. It's the target of our Christian walk to maintain constant communion with God. And so we, we think dry, boring prayer and sitting in a dry, bore, boring prayer meeting for 14 hours impossible. But we can keep an ongoing conversation, a relationship with a real person. And, uh, you know, those of you who've been in or are in a relationship or even works with friends, there's a, there's a constant, ongoing conversation that happens. You know, uh, rarely do my wife and I talk about something, and then that's the last time we talk about it. Things develop and change. And over the day, we send each other texts, and we send updates, and here's what's going on. And it's not perfectly in order. Like, we don't finish one topic and then jump to the next. It's a natural relationship where there's back and forth, continually uh, communing or engaging with one another. And that's the invitation from the Spirit. And it's a lot more enjoyable than we think it is in our mind. We think scary, unattainable, impossible, boring, when really it's exhilarating, enjoyable, fun, fulfilling. And uh, ultimately, it's, it's the desire of the Lord's heart. And that's point B. The story of mankind is that of one of God looking for a resting place and a place to dwell we look at the story of mankind, God creates man not out of a need, but out of a desire, which doesn't make sense to me. 
but it's fun to talk to God about. How can a God who's fulfilled within himself have desire? I don't know if you figure it out. Let me know, but I don't think we're ever going to completely figure that one out. So God creates man out of a desire to dwell with them. And so he creates Adam and he creates Eve and he creates an environment for man to dwell. Now notice that environment isn't them floating on a cloud. It involves work. It involves relationship with, with people, with one another. But it is a place where they walked with God in the cool of the day and he dwelled with them in a unique way. We know what happens. They sin. He cast them out of the garden. That perfect union was broken. And we see glimpses of men that wanted to reestablish that. Um, it's, it's what so moves me about David. Uh, that heaven is my home and earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? That's what the prayer that David heard. Now, David is pre-Holy Spirit dwelling on the inside of us via the blood of Jesus. But he so felt the desire of the Lord to rest in a place. He said, I'm going to build a house where God can dwell. I'm not going to build God a box, you know, with cherubim on it where he can hang out because that's not where he wants to be. He wants to be with, with men. So I'm going to create a tent with, not, with ongoing worship and prayer. And I have it later on in the notes, but I'll just hit it now. Worship being agreement with who, with who he is and prayer being agreement with what he wants to do. I'll find this place of agreement. And we talked last week about Luke 18. Remember, will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? Will the Son of Man find agreement in the earth? Will he find a resting place? Will he find those where he can, where he can dwell with? So David builds this house for God. It's such a, uh, I love reading about the tabernacle of David. I love it. I encourage you to, to go through it because there's, David tapped into the heart of the Lord in a way that no one else did uh, before Jesus came. And so Jesus comes, you know, I'm fast forwarding a, a lot of time. Um, through his death and resurrection, he tore the veil. And so the Holy Spirit, fully God, can then dwell inside of man and become a resting place for him. But because of our brokenness and because of our sin, it's, it's not a perfect community, uh, communion. You know, I liken it unto, for many Christians, the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them is like a broken marriage or a severed relationship between a, uh, a father or mother and their child. They live in the same home, but there's barely any communion. There's barely any relationship. There's no impact and effect. And that's the, uh, you know, that's the indictment on us that we have God living on the inside, and we so rarely tap into that power. We so rarely turn to him, you know, for our issues, even though we have God dwelling on the inside. And ultimately, it says Revelation 21, 22, the ultimate goal, uh, the Lord saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That the, the, the tabernacle in Revelation 22, when he returns, is the human heart completely rid of sin, complete, completely casting off the things that hinder, and there's perfect communion with the Lord. It's the story of mankind. So point C, laying all that out, we know we need intimacy, we know we need to be close, we know that God's desire is to dwell with us, to have agreement, to have fellowship and relationship. I, I hit it a, a little different angle, and this is um, one of my favorite quotes um, from, from Mike Bickle, truly. Uh, I have a lot, but this is, this is one of my favorites. We walk in the Spirit by talking in the Spirit. 
So simple. So true. I said last week, we don't know God beyond uh, uh, the extent that we talk to him. This is the same reality. The way we walk in the spirit is so simple. We talk to him. And this is the key to our transformation and renewal. And it seems so simple. And again, just like prayer, that's the reason so many people miss it. That's what we said about intercession. So simple, anyone could do it. Because it's so simple, almost no one does it. And it's so simple, we have God right there on the inside, and we can walk and dwell with him. But it's that, that simplicity of it, we think it's, it's something greater. We think it's you know, something our mind has to attain. It's something we have to earn. Our, uh, uh, our words quench or release the activity of the Spirit in us more than anything else. And James is all about talking about the tongue and the power of it. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. And we, we normally use that just, you know, when we're swearing and telling dirty jokes. Um, but that's really just the, you know, the tip of what James is talking about. He's talking about uh, power of life when we speak. And that's not just to each other. That's when we let the Holy Spirit speak through us. And if we're not praying, well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's in our heart? Are we really reliant on God? We sang Our Father tonight. Uh, a good friend of mine, Marcus Meyer, wrote that song. Um, loves Jesus, loves, loves buying oil. Great, great man of God. I love the, the bridge, the yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. Amen. Where, where's that from? Lord's Prayer. Why does Jesus have that in the Lord's Prayer? Because it's so key to acknowledge that he's the one who has the glory and the power. He's the one who can change things. He's the one. But we have to petition him. And that's why Jesus has that. He doesn't say, you know, just what to ask for. He says you have to acknowledge that the Lord is the one who can actually change things. Go ahead and go to point four. I'm not going to go through the rest of these. But I do want to hit some of these practicals. Now, next week, I'm going to only hit practicals of engaging in a corporate prayer meeting and engaging in devotional prayer, so don't get thrown off. I, I wanted to lay the foundation um, for those practicals, but I do want to dive into a couple of these just simple ways that we walk with the Spirit. And before I even get into these, I, I really want to stress that we have to actively schedule and, and do these things purposefully. And if, if it's, it's uh, again, it's that fantasy that one day the Lord's going to come and the spirit of prayer is when I'm lying there and one day, you know, the spirit of prayer walks in, jumps in on the inside of me and all of a sudden, I love prayer. It's so much fun. I don't want to play video games. I don't want to watch movies. I just want to pray all day. That's all I want. And it sounds ridiculous, but that's what we, that's what we believe. It's that fantasy about what, how we think it's going to look. But we have to be intentional. We have to schedule praying. We have to, we have to schedule it. We have to purposefully, like, uh, in the last couple of weeks, like, you know, I was feeling this message, and, uh, you know, I've had to purposefully think of different times when I'd be alone with, with Jesus uh, to engage with him in prayer. And so, like, it's been, like, 
two have been the shower, like early in the morning, and then driving here, uh, and anytime I drive in the car by myself, and and every time I, since since I just told the Lord I'd engage with Him, in those places the next couple of weeks, um, every time I get in the car, it's that temptation to, you know, turn on just music or sports radio or, or those things, and obviously those things aren't bad, but I have to actively choose every day. Nope. I'm going to put that thing, and I'm going to follow through with, with what I set my heart to do. I'm not sinning if I don't break that, and I don't want to put that on you, but I do want to make it clear that if you're waiting for that perfect thing to happen or that sin issue to be gone or that schedule thing to free up, then it, then it won't happen. We have to be intentional. So first one, ways we walk in the Spirit. One, uh, worship. I love this passage in Psalm 22.3, and I couldn't find a version that didn't sound like Shakespeare that had this word in there, so bear with me, but, but thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. I love, I love this verse, and I love that word. He who inhabits the praises of Israel. He lives inside of it. He dwells. It's a giant magnet. When those praises, that agreement with who he is is there, it's a magnet for his presence. He wants to dwell there. He wants to hang out there. So what I told you guys who did the night watch um, during this 21, that at 3 a.m. on a Saturday night when most people were sinning and watching horrible things and doing awful things, there was, a, there was somewhere in Colorado Springs where the Lord could find rest, where his spirit could dwell, where he could come and live and inhabit, somewhere where he could find rest so beautiful about the 24-7 reality of a constant place for the Lord to find rest. Um, I'll move on quickly. Oh, actually, I want to hit this really quickly, this practical, um, this challenge here. When we worship Jesus, picture him. So actually, it's the same thing for prayer. Like when we're asking Jesus, if we actually picture him, then we're it's easier to have faith and engage. If, if, if I'm praying, you know, I, we, we always have this joke prayer for the whole, like this joke teenager prayer, because we've all been at the youth camp prayer meetings. And the, the joke prayer we always laugh about is, God, I just like, I, Lord Jesus, Father God, I just, Father God, I pray for God like everyone in the world, Father God. And I just ask that you touch everyone in the world, Father God. And I just thank you in advance because you've already touched everyone in the world, Father God. And uh, it's just, it's just uh, it, it, it never fails. And, and the Lord loves that. And, you know, the Lord's not frowning on that. And he loves the sincerity. We don't have faith to pray for everyone in the world to get touched. But if I pray for the church in a city, so if, I, if I'm, I always pick on Austin for some reason. But if I'm in Kansas City, I know Austin is a part of the church in Colorado Springs. When I'm praying for the church in Colorado Springs, I'm picturing Austin. I'm picturing him having breakthrough. And, and when I do that, I can have faith to believe it'll happen. You know, when I pray for my family members who aren't saved, I picture them here in this building on their knees crying in the presence of the Lord. I picture those things because it gives me faith. And the same thing when we worship Jesus, I challenge you to look at him. I challenge you to, to read Revelation 4 and 5. Saturate yourself in the throne room scene of a beautiful God. Picture Jesus on the throne. Picture you know, uh, 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 the rainbow of mercy, the emerald, the, the rubies, the, the majesty, the four living creatures, 
uh, uh, the 24 elders, the sea of glass. I encourage you to picture those things because that we've, uh, I bet that we disconnect and sing words out of just, you know, out of just repetition because that's what we do so frequently. I picture you to put that target of picturing Jesus and picturing that scene of a beautiful God, putting that before you. Uh, B, ways we walk in the Spirit. Again, I'm not going to hit all these notes, but setting our mind on the Spirit. It sounds simple, but I want to read this Romans uh, 8, 5 through 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life. And uh, you don't have to go there, but on the next page I have Galatians 5, 16, and 17. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And he puts it forth as a law. I love that. It's a law. I mean, we know the law of gravity. What goes up must come down, right? It's a law. It's going to happen every time. And Jesus says there's no, or, or not Jesus, Paul says there's no variable. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. We hear that, and it's so far off. Here's, here's a practical uh, application. This, this will probably hit home more for guys. Um, when the spirit of lust comes on you for a girl, taking that, if you, I, I, I didn't come up with this. Someone told me this. This was unbelievable for me as a 20-year-old to hear. This, like, blew my mind and really got breakthrough uh, in, in the issue of, of lust. And he said, when you, when you lust in your heart for a girl, pray for her in that second she's unsaved, if it's a, you know, a picture on the internet or whatever, or whatever, then pray for her salvation. If it's someone you know, pray for an apostolic prayer over them. And what you do is you invite the spirit of prayer, and the, the lust that says, I can't wait to get, turns into a love, which is, I can't wait to give. And it brings the opposite spirit, and that spirit of lust runs. And if the enemy is trying to put those things in your mind, you know, he's going to know you well enough. He's going he's, he's gonna to not want to keep doing that because every time he does that, you start praying. And that's what this is talking about. It's a law. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Just a couple more of these. I'm going to teach on this tomorrow, so I'm not going to hit this much. But pray reading the Scriptures, the way we walk in the Spirit. Sometimes, actually, um, the word can turn into that knowledge about God. The way that we can save ourselves from that is pray reading the scriptures, is engaging with the Holy Spirit, inviting his presence, asking him to come. Because that book is not the same book for you as it is for the unbeliever who's looking to prove a point. For you, it's living and active. It's sharp. Living and active means it's doing stuff. You, you get it? It's doing stuff. Bad ideas are going. Good things are coming. Good desires are coming. Uh, D, uh, respond to his whispers and movements. And uh, Matthew 5, 45, when it says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, we hear that, and we put it in the pray without ceasing category. Not going to happen. Not even going to worry about it. Move on to the next verse. That word is, it's that the word perfect is really poorly translated in English. Um, I can't remember. I think it's telos. And what's up? Teleos, thank you. I haven't looked it up in a while, and I didn't look it up for the sermon, so thank you, sir. Um, 
it's better translated uh, uh, mature or a, a word that talks about over time. And the difference is perfection in our mind is without any flaws right now. But to God, that perfection is perfect obedience. And so the Holy Spirit, it's, it's how he's so kind. He doesn't convict us of a thousand things at once, does he? Satan does. He brings up a thousand of your flaws at once. But God doesn't do that. He brings up one thing at a time so gently. And if you respond to that, he calls that perfect. You're being perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's a perfect maturity. It's a, it's a, it's a fullness of maturity. And so walking in the spirit, it's not just, oh, I need to get rid of every single sin issue right now. It's when the whisper of the spirit comes, respond. And if we deny it, if we deny that whisper, then it, it gets a little softer next time. But if we say yes to that whisper, that whisper is stronger next time. And uh, it's, it's not because, you know, God is, is mean or that he's not even saying anything. It's that our, our heart gets hardened if we say no. The word doesn't return void every single time it accomplishes. You can't hear a word and just have it be neutral. It doesn't work. You either harden your heart or you soften your heart. Say yes. There's, there's no in between. And then uh, the last one, I'm actually going to end with this. I don't want to go too long. Kelly, if you want to come up, because I want to just do a really short prayer time. Uh, the last one I'm going to hit, and you can read the rest of these notes. I go on to talk about some other stuff. I don't even know what I say. <laughs> That's why I have the notes, so I'm memorizing. The last one is, is thanking him. And that's, again, going back to the Matthew 25. It's the, the main thing that uh, causes us to, um, how do I want to say that? Uh, just go, going back to Matthew 24, it's that bitterness of heart that causes us to miss what the Lord's doing. And that's why he says over and over again, see that your heart is not offended, even in the midst of loud popping noises. I'm just kidding my heart become offensive. It just works because everyone's just thinking about that pop and doesn't think about the next thing you say. That's why preachers do that, by the way, because you're not thinking about what they're saying. So they get it over with, move on, go to the next thing. Just so you know. But it's, it's, uh, it, it counteracts that offense that wants to come in our heart. When we feel that, why did I, you know, get screwed again? Why didn't this go my way? When we go the opposite way and say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you've done. Thank you for leading me. Thank you for guiding me. That spirit of thank, that thankful heart will protect us against uh, the, the little attacks of the enemy that try to get us jaded. And like I told you guys before, I'm in a time of life where a lot of my friends are getting jaded. It's really hard, actually, really difficult. A lot of my best friends are falling away, uh, or ones that were in full-time ministry pursuing the Lord wholeheartedly are not anymore. And it's the offense that came in their heart that they didn't expect. It's disillusionment. It's that fantasy that you have, what it will look like. It never looks like that. No matter how cool you think you're going to be in seven years, you might be that cool. You might be cooler. You might be less cool. I guarantee you it's not going to look like the way that you think it does. And we guard ourselves against fantasy by walking every day with the Holy Spirit. Every day. And we so glorify, and, and, that, and it's okay, the, the big moments of extravagance, you know, to, to, when we think radical, we think, you know, at a conference, jumping up and down, or we think loud praying on the microphone. But to Jesus, being radical is being faithful. It's, it's not just jumping up and down at a conference, and that's radical. What's being radical is 30 years of not being offended. 30 years of every morning I wake up, 
and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. 30 years, even though I've read the word 10 times, I still open it up and find new life. When I'm in a conversation and I'm dialoguing with one, I'm taking the time to say, like Brady is teaching us, Holy Spirit, what are you saying about that person? That's radical. Fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit is radical. That's what radical Christianity looks like. It doesn't just look like the big moments of extravagance and the big conference ministry and the big things that we associate. And that's the lamp. That's the lamp of our ministry. What do we have to give? Because that lamp, you know what? That, that lamp still looked good in conference ministry. You know, that lamp still preached well before Jesus came. That lamp was, you know, belonged to someone who had a good message, that had truth, reality, had good intentions, all of those things. But the Lord, he said, five wise and five foolish. And the five wise were the ones who fellowshiped with the Spirit. Who, when no one else was looking, talked to him. And didn't despise the voice of the Lord. When those whispers came, they responded. When I thought of someone hurting, instead of being like, man, that stinks for them, I took a second. Took ten seconds and said, Lord, strengthen them today. When I see someone who has a, a wrist that's broken, instead of just saying, oh, that stinks, it's the person who's who took time and talked to Jesus about that and took time to talk about on, on the inside. And those are the ones the Lord says, those are useful in and out of season. And that's my cry for, for DLA. And that's, honestly, if, if DLA wasn't built around the place of prayer, I probably wouldn't be here. I probably would have turned down the job. But I've seen a, a schedule and, and uh, teaching and all those things that are, that are to get you in the place of prayer. But no one can do that for you. You have to do it yourself. And you have to take the time and talk to Jesus. You have to open up your Bible and sing and engage. And during worship, instead of just closing your eyes and singing words, picturing a real God and really talking to him. I want to invite you guys to stand. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did. Because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.